This is URN. Hello and welcome to the Sticky Wicket Cricket Podcast, the only podcast that would be disappointed if at least one match of the county championship wasn't delayed by snow every season. We've had a few weeks off over Easter, but we're back and ready to go. As usual, I'm joined by Dom. How are you, mate? I'm a bit hungover, mate. I went to the pub yesterday and uh, well, I've missed the pub, but I'm feeling well quite tired, it's fair to say. So this interview could go many ways, but I'm very excited for today. <laughs> yeah, obviously pub just opened and I think everyone is obviously happy about that. But today we're also joined by Richard Coftry, an ex-Gloucestershire and Oxford MCCU player and current head of cricket at Dulwich College. Richard, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Toby. Thank you, Dom. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's nice to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you on here. And as some of you may remember from our Ian Cobain interview, Richard was not only in the county setup with Ian, but more impressively, was actually a tutor for Toby. And there's so many questions about what Toby was like at school, which I can't wait to find out. But as ever, we'll start with the URN Super Over. Richard, this is six quickfire questions and we need six quickfire answers. Toby, hit it. Yes, so question number one. Which athlete from any other sport would you like to see play cricket? It's not very quickfire, is it? Um, (laughs) Owen Farrell. Oh, interesting. A Lord's Test Fifer or a Lord's Test 100? Lord's Test 100. From a wicket keeper, that makes sense. What has been your favourite match you've seen live? World Cup final. Oof. I mean, that is, I was disappointed to- some of Toby's heroics didn't come up there, but we'll take the World <laughs> Cup final. Um, if you were about to walk out to bat for Scotland, what song would you want to walk out to? Ooh. Braveheart theme? Yeah, probably Braveheart theme. <laughs> <laughs> What are um, three essentials of cricket tea? Scones, tea, and egg mayonnaise sandwiches. Egg mayonnaise sandwiches is making a debut in the teas there. Would you rather be at a test match at Lords or in the Holly stand for finals day? Test match at Lords. Yeah, yet again, another fantastic super over from our guests there. Um, so, Richard, let's start with the beginning of your career. You were born in Northumberland and you joined Durham's Academy. How old were you when you sort of first began making your way in, in the academy and, and how was your time there in general? Yeah, I started at Durham Academy when I was about 16 years old. Uh, Northumberland obviously was a minor county and I'd played minor county uh, age group cricket for Northumberland from about the age of eight years old. And probably caught the attention of Durham around sort of 14, 15 and there was a couple of Durham trial days and trial matches and eventually started fully on the academy um, when I was, yeah, 16 years old. Um, Yeah, which was, um, yeah, obviously it was a really exciting time. And it was at that time, sort of 2004, 2005, Durham, as you know, were a really, really competitive side, winning the county championship twice. I think whilst I was there, absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, and it was it was a very, very strong playing squad. Uh, it was different sort of cricket, really. When I was playing for Northumberland, it was uh, a very, I mean, a really enjoyable experience. I really enjoyed um, you know, playing for Northumberland, where, where I'm 
kind of where I was born, where I grew up. But then suddenly when I remember quite clearly my first game for the academy, when we used to get the bus down from Northumberland to Yorkshire, I remember this sort of team team chat being, you know, there could be a few test players uh, playing, the, the few future test players that we could be playing against. And then when I went down on the bus with Durham, it was, come on, right, we know that we can beat these guys. We beat them last year. And it was really, oh, this is a bit of a change of mindset. <laughs> so, yeah, it was um, it was very hard cricket, really. The, the, the level of uh, skill was was very high indeed. And it was it was an incredibly competitive um, environment right the way from the first 11, the second 11 and into the academy. There was competition from people wanting uh, to get from the second 11 into the first 11. And there was competition for academy players wanting the opportunity to play in the second 11 to hopefully get a, um, a professional contract at the end of the season. So from being in a, a quite a relaxed, very enjoyable and um, fun playing experience with Northumberland, it suddenly went into a very highly competitive um, situation. And that took me a bit of time to get used to, I suppose. But um, yeah, I think both Northumberland and Durham did, did some really great things for, for my career. Yeah, as, as you mentioned there, Durham have had a history of international players in their squad with the likes of Collingwood, Onion, Stoneman. And then during your time there, you played alongside Ben Stokes, Mark Wood, Scott Borthwick, Although perhaps you haven't quite reached the same heights as current England vice-captain Ben Stokes, how influential was was your time in the academy uh, on your career? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, it was really competitive and it was quite strange actually coming away from that to really realise how competitive it was. I mean, I'm from the northeast of England and the northeast really, I mean, it, I sometimes drive, you know, when you're not in lockdown, you drive back and see my parents that live live up there and you really realise how far away the place actually is. Like, it really is far away. And when I came down south, I suppose I really realised that actually it was a very, very competitive environment. Um, yeah, and it was um, the, the players that that system produced have uh, have gone on to some really great things. Mark Woods, uh, obviously Ben Stokes, Scott Borthwick, I mean, Scott Borthwick, Mark Wood and, and Stokes, we were all in the academy and played two or three years together. Um, I still, Mark Wood used to drive to my house and then we used to drive down to training. And I still remember driving him back one day and he, him saying, just not sure I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it. I was like, no, no, hang on in there, Woody. I mean, look at him now. He's bowling Thunderbolts for uh, for England and is, has been very successful. Um, so I think hugely influential. The coaching there was of a very high quality, but... I think the the just the competitive nature of that environment was one that um, it took me a while to get used to. I think, um, but yeah, it was it, it really dragged me along. So after that, you moved down to Oxford MCCU for a few years before getting signed by Gloucestershire and playing for them. Of course, how was it? playing first-class cricket whilst studying at university? Because I'm looking at my university at the moment. And <laughs> I can hardly do my coursework, let alone play coursework and play first-class cricket. How difficult was it to balance both those parts of your life? Yeah, I think the um, the time management aspect was quite challenging sometimes, especially, I don't know if it's still the same, but certainly when I was um, at, at Oxford Brooks, 
the coursework deadlines all seemed to come in at the same time. It was always like week three and week six. So that it's obviously you delay things. And then suddenly it was a real mass panic. So my timekeeping had to be um, much better than it probably previously had been. But I actually, um, I went down to Oxford, hadn't been released from Durham when I was 19. I went down there knowing that I still wanted to become a professional cricketer. And that would have been a good shop window for me to be able to do so. For me, it was a way of continuing with um, my academic studies. I enjoyed, I did an economics degree and I enjoyed studying economics at school, whilst also giving me the opportunity to try and get back into a professional cricket environment. And yeah, it was a bit of a balancing act. And I think I did so many modules in the uh, in the Michaelmas term in that first like semester. Um that yeah I had a fantastic tutor that looked at how many modules I could kind of do in that first semester and basically I saved all of the second semester modules up until funny enough after my kind of cricket career finished I sort of had about four that could only be done in the second semester and um, but it was great I mean I was university life was fantastic and I was playing cricket with you know some really good mates and some uh, are still my friends now and it was brilliant I was learning whilst it was a, a much more it was quite relaxed but I wanted I was still very serious about playing cricket and it was a great time I mean I absolutely loved it it was, it was brilliant it was a, a really good opportunity for me to you know display my skills and I was very fortunate that I was one of the people that got scouted by Gloucestershire um, and there's a bit of a funny story behind that really was um the opening bat, we were due to play Gloucestershire in a pre-season game and I wasn't selected. I was going to be playing against Warwickshire. And as I'm sure is still the case, Wednesday was the kind of student night out, wasn't it? And I'm sure it's still the case. <laughs> and this game took place against Gloucestershire on a Thursday morning. And I was sort of with my mates on Wednesday evening and I had this option, a dilemma, really. What do I do? Do I go out and just go down and, and help out? and kind of, you know, put my sunglasses on and just, you know, be around the uh, the team that was playing on the Thursday, or do I stay in just in case something something happened? And I don't know what happened, but um, I got a phone call at eight o'clock the next morning. I made this in, I'm going to stay in. And I got a phone call from the, uh, from the head coach, Graham Charlesworth, saying that the other opening batsman had gone to the, uh, there was a, a takeaway called uh, Rice Box on Cowley Road had gone there and he got food poisoning and would I be able to open the batting? And had it not been his very distinctive voice, I thought it'd be a complete hoax. And yeah, so I guess it was a stroke of luck that managed to put me um, in that game uh, to play against Gloucestershire, which then obviously was the, uh, so I've got the rice box on Cowley Road, um, which I don't even know if it still exists anymore, but to thank for my, uh, my, my professional career. Yeah, so as you mentioned there, you then went to Gloucester, Gloucestershire, and unfortunately, though, your opportunities were, opportunities were a little bit limited in the first season due to John Batty's presence in the squad. However, you established yourself in the second eleven, scoring several half centuries and really putting pressure on Batty. How did you look back on your first season? Was it was it more about the cricket or just sort of settling in, becoming mates with other players like Ian Cobain and, and a few of the other guys there? Yeah, so I, I sort of trialled the back end of 2008. I didn't do very well and then managed to get 75 in the last game against Middlesex. And then John Batty was signed that winter and I thought, oh, that's going to be a real blow to my kind of like chances. And 
um, I ended up playing quite a lot in the summer with a with a sort of summer contract. So I did university and uh, cricket at the same time and played in the second team. But really, I think I was just grateful for the opportunity to knowing that not many people get those opportunities to kind of like retrial with another county. And then I did quite well. I got a few 50s, not amazingly, but I got a few. I sort of felt like I just did enough just to kind of keep them wanting me back a little bit. And yeah, I just, I felt like I had a second chance. I had a real, I had a first chance at Durham and I felt that uh, when I was at Gloucestershire, I had a second chance and I just, yeah, I just wanted to to seize it really. I, I wanted to do everything I could to um, give myself the best chance. I always thought that if I could look back at, if I didn't become a professional and sign a full professional contract, had I given myself the best opportunity to do so? Could I look myself in the mirror and say, do you know what? You did everything you could. You just weren't quite good enough. Um, so I used to do a lot of miles. I was playing for a cricket club in the northeast of England called Benwell Hill. And I used to drive down on a Sunday and then drive back up on a Friday night after a week of second team cricket. But um, yeah, it was just all about enjoying it, really. And knowing that it was a, it was a, a second chance and it was great. So I, I didn't really, really kind of you know, put too much pressure on myself. How, how was it coming to the squad as a 20 year old obviously there were some quite some prominent players in the squad at the, at the time was it quite intimidating or did you just think oh I can I'll go here I'll get on with these guys and it'll be it'll be good fun yeah I think um I don't think in professional sport you kind of you go where the opportunities are really it's not like you can decide yeah I want to go there because that you know that, that was the only opportunity at the time really that I had to live my my childhood kind of dream and I think I was very fortunate that the um the culture at Gloucestershire even with a few very senior um, and very experienced players the culture was a really nice one um it was quite a different uh culture to to Durham but it was a culture that I really enjoyed there was a lot of um help from senior players and uh, yeah I just embraced it really it just seemed to kind of fit quite well and yeah I didn't go in wanting to try and make friends I just wanted to do my best and I, I I wanted to listen to those experienced players and they were very good at giving advice and they were very I guess secure in their place and um were, were able to and were really willing to to give that advice and yeah I, I really just just enjoyed it I think more than anything so that advice you were given led you to become the first choice wicketkeeper in 2011 where you equaled the record number of catches in an innings for Gloucester with six. You can tell we have done our research. How did it feel for you to establish yourself in a squad? Yeah, it, it was a really strange season, um, 2011. Obviously, it was the highlight of my very kind of short-lived cricketing career. Um, and to be honest, my thoughts in 2011 uh, 10 where I had a good season uh, in the second team and I thought I'd just been then given a full professional contract and I thought if I played a couple of first team games that year then that would I'd have had a successful year and I didn't really place any pressure on myself and then pre-season came around and Oxford MCCU played Gloucestershire in the in the in the pre-season friendly and I played for Oxford against my teammate and did quite well. I sort of got a really scrap. It was a really, um, it was a bit of a sticky wicket at Bristol as it, as it can be. And certainly in 2010, 2011, I think you could have fed 
two cows for the winter on the uh, on the amount of grass on some of the wickets and yeah I just I just did quite well I got a couple of lucky chances and John Bracewell was really impressed and suddenly I thought actually I might even play here as a batter and I opened I, I made my debut batting at three and I actually didn't have the uh, I didn't have the gloves on it felt really weird not having you know a pair of wicket keeping gloves and being in the field um and so yeah and slowly as the season went on I sort of hung in there a little bit and we won which is always good because the sort of mantra is never really change a winning team not that I contributed much at the top of the order um but I sort of just hung on in there really and then yeah had a few okay-ish knocks and yeah then became strangely became a bit more of an established player in the team and that was probably actually when when everything started to change a little bit um for better and for and for worse, I suppose. Yeah, you then you then really had sort of probably one of your best performances for, for Gloucester against a uh, Martin Guptill and the Derbyshire side. You top scored for Gloucestershire with two not outs of fifty four and forty, putting on seventy as a final wicket partnership with David Payne. How did it feel to to really get such a good score and and to really contribute to the side? Toby, I I was just so relieved to be batting down the order. I think I think looking back on my career, like I was, I played a sing. I would I think I played over twenty games batting either one, two, or three in first class cricket. And I don't really think I was ever good enough to be a one, two or three. I was just quite good at not getting out, I think. Um, and we had a really good middle order at Gloucestershire. And I think there was a case of actually, let's protect them as much as possible. And who's the, who's the only person who can defend it for long periods of time? Well, Coftry seems to do that. So let's shove him in up top. Um, so then sort of midway through the season, I dropped down the order and it was just a relief, really. The ball wasn't swinging. Um, it was just, I just thought this is the dream, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did quite well in that derby game. On It was a really green wicket. And I think we fielded first and then they got like 400 or something. And Martin Guptill got 120. Um, and... Yeah, I think Al Gidman at the time was regretting fielding first. And then it was really dark and Mark Turner was bowling 90 mile an hour short balls in the gloom. And I was playing them awfully. And we came off a bad light. John Bracewell said, oh, how are you going to play it? And I just said, what? I don't know. I'm not doing a very good job at the moment. I think I'm just going to have to try and hook a few. And it first ball back. He bowled me a bouncer and I top-edged it for a six, I think. And then he bowled me another bouncer and I managed... Actually, that was quite a good shot. I hit for four. And then and then he pitched one up and, yeah, and I hit it through the covers. I still remember. I think the great thing about sport, no matter what is it, you can still relive moments. And I still remember that cover drive. But I suddenly thought, God, this is what it's actually like to play shots. Normally, I just sit there and block it and leave it and hope for the best, really. Um so yeah, that was that was a nice that was that was quite a good day. I think it was a bit of a relief really because that was quite late on in the season and I hadn't actually got past fifty yet. Still have managed to play quite a bit. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, it, it was always it was nice to do well. I think I relieved a, quite a bit of pressure and then batting down the order. I, it was just it was just much more fun really. And you also as a wicketkeeper, you got the time to kind of relax, recover, and then bat. It was actually quite difficult looking back at first-class level to take your wicket-keeping stuff off after 110 overs and then go straight out into bat. But, um, yeah, it was just it was nice to do well. It was nice to, like, really contribute to a team was, um, was really good. And, yeah, 
it was it was it was it was a it was a good period that I then opened that we then played against Essex a few weeks later and I don't know if you've seen this in your research but in the first innings I think I batted eight and did quite well down the order got like 40 on not out and at the time and Hamish won't mind me saying this but Hamish Marshall was wasn't having a great time up the order no one did have a good time up the order I think in that year and Al Gidman said to me, said the captain at the time said, look, you've got it. We, we, Hamish is really struggling and we need to draw this game. It was the last day. And if we drew the game, then we were still in the hunt for promotion. And so he said, look, Coffers, can you go back up the order? Because Hamish is, is not in a good place. So I'll, I'll never forget. I was like, well, you know, Skip, I've, um, I've, I've really enjoyed my time down the order, but obviously, you know, the, the team is much more important than, you know, my individual success. And if that's, if that's what the team needs, then yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then Morris Chambers, who used to just get me out for fun. He bought the first ball and I was caught a second slip for a golden, for, <laughs> for a golden deck. And, and, and I walked back and Alex Gidman would have been batting four or five, I think at the time. And I remember it was at Colchester in the changing rooms, tiny. I remember just sitting next to him and going, "Well, well, well, that plan backfired, Skip, didn't it?" <laughs> um, so yeah, it was yeah, a, a, a comedy of, of errors, but yeah, it was um, it was nice. You've mentioned quite a few of the great Gloucester players down the years there. So Hamish Marshall, you didn't mention them, Matama Alitherin, Irish all-rounder Kevin O'Brien, as well as future New Zealand legend, it's fair to say, Kane Williamson. Yeah, that squad. What was it like being in that squad? Looking back now, looking at all those great names who've represented their country, do you ever look back and think how lucky you were? Or when you're in that sort of position and they're just colleagues, is that different to just working in any school or any situation you currently are in now? Yeah, I think um, one thing that really surprised me when I first went into professional cricket, I suppose, was these like people would be my idols that used to watch on Sky Sports. And then suddenly you were sharing a cricket changing room with them. And it sort of surprised me how just normal they were. I was sort of expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but um, that when I was at Durham, um, the I mean, I look back now at the Gloucestershire players that I, especially, the, you know, I suppose even the Durham players that I played with um, and what they've gone on to achieve. And I, I feel really lucky in a way that I was just a part of, their journey and kind of saw a part of their journey and uh yeah so i feel really lucky for that um obviously murley at the time he'd taken 800 test class wickets and gloucestershire had made sure everyone in the ground knew that because his squad number was 800 and i don't think that was even allowed but i don't think anyone questioned it <laughs> um and yeah i mean he was i mean it, it was to keep wicket to him I look back and I, I do have to sort of pinch myself a little bit. Also, it was 2020 cricket. I don't know what on earth I was doing playing 2020 cricket, but um, <laughs> I I remember I used to always practice like one-handed catching and I want, I bowled at me in some practice and I was just doing some one-handed takes. And I think John Bracewell saw that and thought, well, if we've got him as a spinner, he seems to be keeping quite well. He's you know keeping to him one-handed. Um, let's put him in the team. So, you know, if, 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 as he inevitably did, got quite a few people allowed, um, then I was, I was, I was in his eyes at the time the, the best player to um, 
to 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 take the wickets or have it the um, behind the batter, um, and I mean that was just really special. Kane, I mean, he arrived at Gloucestershire right at this kind of start of his career, and he would have been twenty one, I think, twenty twenty one. And what was amazing was just the maturity and clarity in his thought. Really, was incredibly impressive. I don't think he actually had a particularly great season. Um, but just the way that he thought about the game, the way he spoke about the game and the way that he spoke, he spoke about like recovery. I remember he used to take, he, he probably still does. He took his guitar everywhere with him. And it was just the thing that as Kiwis always seem to be quite relaxed um, off the pitch. And yeah, I, I, I thought straight away that he would, he was something that was very special and potentially could go on to great things of which he has done and is one of, you know, the great batsmen of, you know, the, the current era, isn't he? One of the, um, you know, the big, the big four. So, yeah, I feel, um, I feel really quite honoured really to have played with those people. Hamish was a really close friend um, and just was, just, he was just funny and had a good outlook on life and was also an incredibly talented cricketer. I remember him and Kevin O'Brien, I think they were both the first players to score. Gloucestershire was the first team to have two players score 100 in a, a T20 game, of which uh, Kevin O'Brien and Hamish uh, both got 100s. And it was like the easiest match fee I've ever done. I mean, <laughs> you know, even though I was like batting eight or nine, I... Um, I don't even think I even came close to putting my batting pads on and Middlesex were never going to get that total. And you just had to catch three or four balls. And yeah, it was, um, it was, it was quite a, an easy day's work really. But yeah, I think going back to the question, I suppose it was, it was just, um, it was a real honour to play with those people and to, and to learn from those people as well. I think it was really quite special. Yeah, there, do, there does seem to be something with sort of top class batsmen and guitars, I guess. You've got Kane Williamson and Steve Smith obviously posted that video uh, yeah. during the last IPL. So I guess maybe that's the trick to being a. Yeah, a well, I mean, I, I think I tried to take it up, and there's probably <laughs> Ian Cobain, because I lived with Ian Cobain for a little bit, and he'd probably testify that if that's the key to cricketing success, then my failure at the guitar is is probably a, maybe one of the reasons why, I, why I'm now a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, while at Gloucester, he worked quite closely with Jack Russell, an England legend. And um, when asked about you, he's very complimentary, saying you had a wonderful mixture of natural talent and strong dedication. How was it working with such a fantastic keeper? I, I mean, that really was, um, yeah, something special. And probably you talk about playing with some of those great players that was a real honour for me. My, my grandfather was the person that got me into cricket when I was sort of six, seven years old. And probably even before your time, um, lads, was the, the really successful Gloucestershire side of like the early, like the, the late 90s, early noughties, where they won loads of those C&G Cups. And I remember watching them on Channel 4 at, at Lords and my grandfather saying, you've got to be like that. If you want to be a wicketkeeper, he's the best there's there's been. And yeah, he was my, my absolute idol, really. I mean, obviously, people joked when I was at Gloucester, you just want to be Jack Russell, don't you? And um, but I used to kind of think, well, who wouldn't want to be Jack Russell? Like the the, the man's an absolute legend. Um, and when I first, because he came to watch me when I was at Brooks, 
um, playing for the Oxford MCCU. Um, and he was the one who made the phone call to ask me um, to come down and trial. And genuinely, I thought it was a hoax. Like, it was the kind of prank that any university student who used to, you know, take the mick out of me for wanting to be Jack Russell. Because um, I had, I was, a uni- I was at university, I had like long hair because, you know, it, it was, you know, Haircuts are expensive, weren't they? It's either haircut or beer, and you, you, there's only one winner there, isn't there? And I genuinely thought it was a hoax, and then it was a, it was about kind of like a few seconds in the phone call. I was like, no, this isn't a hoax. Um, uh, he was absolutely amazing. I mean, that was my um, uh, just, I guess, to be coached by your child childhood hero and a, a proper legend of the game was something that was really special, and he. He took my wicket keeping to to the next level, really, and I suppose gave me the confidence with the bat in his own weird way. Really, um, it, it was excellent. And also, I think that wicket keepers are a really unique breed. You know, there's not many there's not many wicket keepers out there, and I think wicket keepers and certainly coaches. There's not many wicket keeping coaches out there, and wicket keepers. Like they understand wicket keepers. And I, I swear that a lot of other people just don't understand wicket keepers. But wicket keepers have this kind of, I don't know, almost like common language that they just sort of seem to understand each other. And um, and to have one of, in my opinion, uh, the, the greatest wicket keepers of all time to to coach you was was really special. For example, as a keeper, you could have a really average day and you make loads of fumbles. Your, your glove works a bit shoddy, but you take your three catches. One of them's diving and everyone runs around you and they pat you on the back. And go, yeah, yeah, you kept so well today. You kept so well today. Um, and deep down you go, well, you're just saying that because I took my catches and managed to, you know, not miss too many buys. But what Jack was really good at was he'd send me some text messages at like one o'clock in the morning when he'd been watching the footage online or something. <laughs> um, and I remember getting one text. Uh, literally, I looked at the times like half one and I thought, why is he watching the video that time? But the text just said, your first slip needs to be wider. <laughs> and he'd been watching the videos. Like, I don't know what he'd been doing, probably doing some painting. And then I got, I woke up at eight o'clock. I was like, your first slip needs to be wider. It was the first text message that I saw. And then I was like, what, what times he sent that? Um, but he was, um, he would say when you had that game where you didn't take any catches, but you didn't drop a single ball all day, your footwork was really good. Like, yeah, I thought you kept brilliantly there. And that was really quite, quite special and quite important because a lot of people don't really understand wicket keeping and it's kind of nuances, but he really did. Jerry Russell, famously quite a unique character, famously or infamously, depending on your views on this, wouldn't brush his teeth. So the batsman would smell his bad breath and move away from the crease, increasing the likelihood of stumpings. Was that ever a discussion with your coaching with Russell? Did he ever say, mate, you've got to drop the... Uh, drop the toothbrush. You've got to drop it if you want to move up to that next level. I actually hadn't, I actually hadn't heard that one about the teeth. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that that's what he'd say. Whether he actually did it or not, I don't know. Um, but no, it wasn't. Um, thankfully, um, I don't think I've got any fillings to date. But if I didn't, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's very Route 1 Russell, it's fair to say. DJ! This is URN University Radio Nottingham.
And if we move on to a bit more about your career, got called up to play for Scotland in yeah. South Africa, making your first guest. Uh, so, hang on. Sorry, Toby, I'm so confused about what you wrote here. All right, sorry, I'll start that again. Making you off, uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Um, so in 2012, uh, September, you were called up to the Scottish squad to play for South Africa, meaning you are our first international <laughs> guest. How was I don't I don't I don't know if that counts though because I don't think I actually got an inter well I, I don't know I, I know for sure I, got, ever had. I, I never got an international cap though so do you have, do you have the training kit did you like get all I, that? I have the training kit yes yeah. I've still gradually got the training kit um but yeah so if training kit is your criteria for <laughs> an international player <laughs> but then what's stopping Toby going down to uh, going down to the local sports shop buying an England shirt and saying he's an international player? That is a, okay, you're the only person to go on an international tour we've had. Okay. But in our mind, you're part of the Scottish squad. That that's, counts as international representation. That's, that's really kind. Thank you. <laughs> what was it like to be playing for Scotland, a nation that doesn't quite have the same facilities as England or the West Indies or, or probably Ireland is the closest comparison? Yeah, was it staying in Premier Inns? Was it staying in the same sort of hotels England players were in, or what was it like? Well, we went on this tour to Potchefstroom, uh, which is a university town in South Africa, and it was an amazing tour. We we played against the Calcutta Knight Riders and the Heitveld Lions, one of the franchise teams in South Africa, because I'm trying to think. It would have been 2012, I think we went on that tour. Maybe even yeah. 2013. I think it was 2012. Um, yeah, the back end of 2012. And it was the time where there was this kind of Champions League of the, like, the winner of the IPL, the winner of the whatever the 2020 tournament was called in the um, in the UK, the winner of the, the Caribbean competition, the winner of, I'm not even sure it was the big blast in Australia then, but Australia's T20 tournament, all played in, um, in, in like a, a Champions League kind of, competition and it was in South Africa at the time so we ended up going on this tour which was I guess originally just like a training tour to play against um, a few local sides a few local first class sides and maybe the odd franchise uh, second 11 or first 11 and then we ended up playing against the Calcutta Knight Riders and the Heidveld Lions and it was like I'm not sure I deserve to play any T20 cricket but then to sort of play against the Calcutta Knight Riders was like what what is actually uh, what has actually happened? Um, so um, it was great fun. Yeah, no, in terms of the quality of the like the, I mean, England go on a lot of training camps there, and um, yeah, it was um, it was it was a great experience. It was a, it was a long old tour. It was like four weeks in the same like sort of hotel university performance center. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a long old it was a long old slog. It was great enjoy. It was it was nice to meet new friends, um, and uh, and 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 other players, and the opposition was yeah was was quite fantastic. And I think at that time, I'd been dropped by Gloucestershire, played a lot in the twos, and it was just quite nice to have a bit of a change of scene really, and and a free trip to South Africa. <laughs> That's that's good to hear. With um, that we we now have an international guest. I think we have to publicise that now as well. Yeah. And then, as we mentioned in our introduction, you're now head of cricket at Dulwich College. How have you found moving from professional cricket to teaching and coaching? Yeah, um, 
quite funny really and my both my parents are teachers and i think i did an economics degree vowing i would never ever ever become a teacher and then my cricket career finished i then finished up my degree at um oxford brooks and i was sitting on my mate's stairs and i was really a bit of a loss like what on earth what on earth am i going to do and i don't think i really wanted to go into professional cricket coaching and I think, would I have been good in the city sitting behind a screen all day? I'm a wicketkeeper. I'm an extrovert. I kind of walk around the changing room and annoy people and just talk at them. And so I was like, I don't think working behind a desk in the city would be a good idea. And I was like, well, I quite like my own sport. I like helping other people. Um, I like my economics. I like my cricket. And then I was like, well, actually... I can do all of that and play my own sport if I'm a teacher. And I was just—I remember like holding my head in my hand, thinking, "Oh dear, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm destined to be." And yeah, I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. I, I, I'm very fortunate with the schools I've taught at, um, and yeah, I, I, it's it's great, really. I, you know, just helping out this tutoring you, Toby, was one of the highlights. I must admit. I think we've got to delve into that. What was Toby like? Was he a bit of a teacher's pet, a bit of a rebel? Was he going through a rebel phase? Maybe? Hey, Toby, Toby used to, the, the really weird thing is right. Toby, so I joined when Toby was in the upper six. I only had when, so he's in year 13. And Toby used to sit, um, you know, about what, like 10 o'clock on the, on the clock, on the back row. And he used to sit here, like with his phone, like pressed. <laughs> and he was just watching cricket. He was always watching sport. And like, obviously the school policy was like phones away. But I was sort of like, well, he seems to love his cricket. And who am I to tell him to not watch cricket videos like during form time when not much was discussed anyway. Um, and it was great because he used to get like, if, if, if England were playing, he used to get an update. Like, Toby, what's the score? And, and, he, and, and instead of being like, oh, I'm not on my phone today, be like, oh, 160 for two, sir. But this is the really freaky thing, is um, Toby's brother, a couple of years younger, then came into my form and looks quite similar to Toby. He sits in exactly the same desk and watches cricket videos. And it was just like, it's like Toby Reynolds has never left. Um, but yeah, no, it was... Um, yeah, that, that, that was that, that was my my memories of Toby, and always bouncing around with a smile on his face, just loving his cricket, and just if he had needed a, a stat to 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 help uh, back up an argument, Reynolds was uh, on hand fairly quickly with one. <laughs> Moving on to a bit more about coaching younger kids, and probably Toby, what's the hardest <laughs> thing about coaching players who might not be as interested in cricket and just developing their skills? How do you engage kids with cricket? Um, I, I think that cricket just needs to be as enjoyable as possible, really. And I actually think that is true right the way through to professional cricket as well. I think all cricketers, at professional level, it becomes tougher, but I think really everyone just enjoys playing cricket. And yeah, my goal is, uh, is uh, as well as teaching economics, running the cricket year, is just to give everyone the best cricketing experience possible and getting them enjoying cricket because I think I mean obviously I, I cricket has done a lot for me as a game but I just really enjoy playing it and yeah although I hope that we can get some boys to play professional cricket I see it equally as much of a success if a boy continues playing cricket at university and goes on to play cricket for their local clubs and becomes like a treasure of their local clubs I, th I see that as being just as much of a, of a success 
And the only way you can do that is by just loads of games, getting them, um, the boys and girls, just to enjoy playing cricket and um, finding that balance all the way throughout is, is, is just the most important thing, really. And I think as soon as, as soon as people stop enjoying cricket, especially whilst they're teenagers, you know, other things come into their lives and suddenly it's, well, actually, I'm not enjoying cricket. I'm being told what to do all the time. I'm going to go off and do something else. If you just make it as enjoyable as possible, then I think you just have the best chance of people um, playing cricket throughout their throughout their lives. And I think that's what we, we look to do, as well as you know, pushing people on to try and make the best of, of whatever their ability is, really. Yeah, on, on a slightly different note, you're probably one of the last sort of true glovemen um, of the county game as a sort of a dying art, as, as they What are you trying say. to say about my batting stats, Toby? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not there, Toby. I'd just, just say that Johnny Bairstow averages slightly more than you, I'd say, in first class. But but on the on the sort of wicket-keeping side, who, who would you say perhaps is, is the best gloveman right now in county game of, of, of English English players? I, I think I've, I've I've watched Ben Folks a few times. I, I've always been impressed by his glove work. I thought, especially in that recent Test series against India on um, difficult pitches, uh, I thought he was I thought he was very impressive actually. And and he was impressive when he was at Essex and uh, paths cross actually mainly in the second team really. Um, I thought he was of a of a of a, of a really high caliber really. And yeah, I think you're right. Isn't there? there's an interesting balance still, isn't there? The debate of I think now in professional cricket, being a batsman has more of a weighting. But I still think the role of the wicketkeeper is one that shouldn't be underestimated. And I think when the ball is turning and spinning and doing what it did in that series, that the the, the standard of wicketkeeping that is required is is of a really, really high, high level. And a, a really good wicketkeeper you almost will just not notice them, I think, throughout the day. Their footwork will be really good. And I think the thing that I find slightly infuriating whilst I'm watching the TV is watching maybe someone who isn't quite as good a wicketkeeper take like a really good catch or what appears to be a really good catch where they dive and all the comments, oh, what a great catch. And, and you, say, well, you think, well, actually, a, a really good wicketkeeper uh, would just take a couple of steps to their right and it would make it look really quite easy. I remember James Foster at Essex just being one of those players that was just always just like ahead of the ball, really. And what could be a really difficult catch was just made to look really, really easy. And that probably wouldn't get noticed. Um, yet maybe a poorer wicketkeeper doeping a diving catch that there's the, the success rate is going to be much lower. Um, getting all this praise and you're just like, oh, it's just actually not really a particularly good catch. Um that, that's that's the one thing I think that infuriates not much infuriates me, Toby, but that's probably one thing that, that uh... So one last question and a bit of a uh, overlook of your whole career. What one tip would you give a young Richard Coftry before he took the pitch against Derby for his debut? Enjoy every moment. And the big downfall of my career was in that year in 2012, I put far too much pressure on myself. I, as I said before, in 2011, I had no expectations of success. All I wanted to do was to play a couple of games in the first team, I think. And I had a good year in 2011. 
but then suddenly my goals and aspirations were to score a thousand runs and my skill level was nowhere near there. It was definitely had increased, but I then put too much pressure on myself in 2012. And when you can't meet your expectations, then if you still maintain the same goals, that doubles the pressure on the next innings. And that would be the most important thing to continue to enjoy it and not to put too much pressure on, on, on yourself because it's quite a fickle game and a lot of cricket really is outside of your control as an opening batter just could be a, a damp, slightly damp wicket in the morning and you get a good ball and professional bowlers are paid to bowl you good balls and it just finds the outside edge. And yeah, you then spend the rest of the day watching the number four bat uh, who is batting on a wicket that's just dried out a bit and scoring loads of runs and you've actually done nothing wrong you played the line of the ball and that's just how it goes and so if you put too much pressure on yourself you can make a lot out of that and then you can stop looking into things that just really aren't there which I started doing a bit and yeah that's what I say relax enjoy it and just yeah don't put too much pressure on yourself I say that I think really so that concludes our interview here. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, Richard, sir, as I perhaps could say. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a great interview with great insight into, into the cricketing game, to wicketkeeping, to coaching, to, to everything. So just a reminder to anyone listening, please follow our Instagram and Twitter. It's at stickywicket underscore URN or at URN stickywicket for Twitter. Subscribe, review, let us know how we're doing, any ideas you have. It always helps us. And just share it with your mates. We want to get as many people as we can to enjoy cricket. I think that is the key. So go well. Cheers.